It's wonderful. We're moving forward as a community. Can I pray for us? I feel like I need to pray. Hello, Brett Osborne. How are you, buddy? Lord, we just come to worship you this morning. we just amazed by you. I thank you for every person here. I pray today just joy and life and freedom and abundance would be upon us, God. That you, Spirit of God, is over us. You're showing us the Father. You're showing us the Son. Um, that you, you are less interested in how we do church and more interested in how we worship you, Jesus. So we come today and we say we exalt you. We give you all praise and all honor today. Amen. So last week, I gave it a good shot on how to do an intro in Ephesians 8 minutes. I was told it was more like nine and a half minutes. So this morning is my first public rebuke, and I just come. But we gave it a good go, and we're going to carry on. We are entering a season, a series, a journey. As you can see, we're on a track, and I was told there's a whole bunch of deep and meaningful stuff to this picture. Is that right? Where's Amy? She designed it. There's a whole bunch of deep stuff. There's, that couch is not just there for no reason. I'm going to leave it up to you to work it out. That's the mystery, to work it out. But, but we started and we said this place, Ephesus, and the book of Ephesians was write, written to real people in a real place who had real lives and real jobs. They walked real streets. They had homes. They had bills to pay. They had children to educate. It all happened in Ephesus. Because I think sometimes when you read these books, we feel like it's some made-up story. It's some unreal story that God gave us to kind of paint us a picture. I believe the Word of God. I believe when, all right, uh, when, when, when Paul writes, dear friends, he writing to friends, people he knew. He knew their stories. He knew their situations. He knew their families. He knew their children. And it's important for us, it's not just these randoms out there. Timothy was a man who Paul loved deeply, and they went on journeys together. And it's a model for us as believers, as the church, to go on journeys together. It's always a model for us. And Ephesus is this great city, and it's a lot like Cape Town. It's a lot like Cape Town. It, it has a port. And it, with that port came a whole bunch of industry. With that port came culture. And it was this melting pot of cultures converging onto one place. People running to the big cities for education, for experience, for the bright lights of Ephesus. Don't know what those look like. I think they look a little different to our bright lights these days. But it was a real place, and it called all these things together. And what happens when you have cultures together is you have a whole mix mash of religions and spirituality in one place. And it's all happening in Ephesus. And Paul arrives there, and he takes Priscilla and Quilla, who are just business people, tent makers. They're not big-name preachers, but they are taken with him on a journey, and together they impact a city. Together they begin to preach and proclaim the good news and the gospel. Just from the city town hall for two years, he just preaches. He works during the week and preaches on the weekends. It's amazing, amazing dynamic. He just declares and begins to build. And from the preaching of the gospel, a sign and a wonder is birthed. It's called the church in Ephesus. And believers begin to stand up and he begins to encourage them and he begins to call them to more. This church, because he writes this book to a church, this church was birthed in radical faith and courage. Men and women going on a journey, a lot like life changes. We know the story of Wally and Shirley arriving here with their kids in a Foxy bus. Doesn't make sense in some ways. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, churches are birthed in fire. They are birthed in power. They are birthed with radical men and women doing radical things because their God is awesome. And we should never get off that track. That is our track. As the church, there's one track, and it's called radical life in Jesus Christ. 
And it challenges comfort. It challenges a whole bunch of things. And we're going through this journey because we want the challenge that Paul writes to this church into our hearts. The fact that he takes Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers, we have to shatter some of the thinking that I'm just a business person. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a doctor. Hello, Andrew Wilkins at the back there. Nice to see you, buddy. New doctor. Just thought I'd throw that in for him. I'm just... And we put all these disclaimers, and in front of all of them is, I'm just. That is a lie from the enemy. And he says, I'm going to take you on a journey to proclaim the gospel, to birth what I want to birth. And sometimes it looks like a church, and sometimes it looks like a business that brings glory to his name. And sometimes it looks like a family planted in a city to bring healing to the broken. It's going to look like all these things, because God's doing it, and he's incredibly creative. And Paul writes... From two years, he's in prison. In two years, he's in prison in Rome, and he writes this letter to the people he loves in the city of Ephesus. It's important, these things. It's important we know the context, that he was there 10 years before, leaves Priscilla and Aquila, goes away, and 10 years later, writes a letter. There is deep love in his heart for this place. That's why I'll only have someone, we'll only have people in here to preach here who I know love life changes. When I talk about people coming in, Rory Dyer's coming in, Terry Virgo's coming in, I know they love you. They are not these gifts who come in and they've got these big showy moments and they bring the glory and then they leave and they've done their job. They are men who love us as a leadership, help us when we hit the wall. They come into our lives, they read, and as a church, they will be there on call. I've seen it happen. I remember there's a story, you might have known about it, you might not. Wally was tired, he, 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 he didn't make it to bloom. Do you know that story? So Wally, Rory looked around and said, where's his mate Wally? He found Wally and said, Wally, where are you? And the true story is Wally says, I'm on the beach with a beer. I'm not coming to Bloom. <laughs> it's a real life story. Just tired and just didn't have the energy to go Bloom. So Rory gets on a plane in Bloomfortain, flies to Cape Town the next day to see his mate Wally. Leaves 5,000 believers worshiping because his mate Wally, who leads Life Changes Church, was in trouble. These people love us. This person, Paul, apostle of God, loved the church of Ephesus. It's important you know that. He's not writing some manual. He's emailing off like an e-book. doesn't cost him anything just to say, well, use it or don't use it. He loves them. Let me just do that. And we come today, and he writes this letter. And it's important you know that Ephesus, Ephesians, kind of like Romans, is, is an encouraging letter. It's not a letter to a church who's doing poorly, and there's chaos going on. Like the Corinthians church. Oh, those oaks were naughty. They had a whole bunch of chaos going on and all sorts of things going on. So he has to write them, to sort them out. He writes to this church to encourage them, to call them to more. He says, I'm going to reveal the greatness of salvation against you. Understand the riches of God's grace. So you're positioned to impact a city because God impacts us spiritually so that we can impact geographically. You are in Cape Town for a reason. Not just to study, not just to work, not just to have kids, get old and go to heaven one day. We are in Cape Town to impact geographically in this area at this time. That's what he calls us to and that's what the apostle writes into. So this morning... Because 1 Timothy 4 says, until I come, Paul is writing to his friend, Timothy. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So this morning, we are going to do the public reading of Scripture. Which I also think calls us to read it publicly outside of the church. But this is a start. So we're going to go to Ephesians 1 and we're going to read the whole chapter together. Is that good? 
Was that a nod, Jerry? Did I get the nod? Yes, I got the nod. So we're going to have, oh, I have the clicker. Apparently we are. There we go. So I'm going to face you, but we're going to read it together. Just because there are a couple different versions. This is the NIV 1984. There is a new one. It's like a Chevrolet, just different. But we have a new, we're going to go with this. I'm somehow going to read it here and read it there. No, I'm not. I'm just going to, okay, you click it, buddy. Much easier. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I don't know about you, but when I read that, everything inside of me begins to jump. Every truth. He speaks about redemption. He speaks about adoption. Every one of these truths that we lay aside as big Christian words that overwhelm, everything inside of me begins to jump. As I remember and I reveal again what Jesus did. He says, remember. 
remember. And we get this amazing truth. This man is writing from prison. He doesn't sound very discouraged. He sounds pretty sure about what he's writing. He sounds pretty sure that actually he's writing to encourage a church who aren't in prison. We've got to learn from this. Maybe you feel in prison right now. Maybe your life financially you're in prison. Maybe emotionally you're in prison. You can still understand with the Spirit of God inside you and the power of God inside of you, that incomparably great power, you can write from prison to someone else and set them free and encourage them. And we find all the reasons to disqualify ourselves. He's sitting in prison. It's not very triumphalistic. And there's a gospel that is being preached right now that if you aren't triumphant, if Jesus hasn't set you free, if not everything is free and everything is good in your life, then you can. And your hair has to be good and your teeth has to be good and everything has to be good. Then you can proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's a lie. Jesus is triumphant. He's taking us on a journey to more of heaven on earth. He has seated us with Him in heavenly realms. And we declare and we proclaim to brokenness, but sometimes we're just going to be like Paul in a prison to encourage others. And that's actually okay. God is with us. He's taking us on a journey. He's teaching us. See, and the the thing with this is the upside-down nature of God's gospel, it contradicts everything of this world, everything of the natural sense that is in us. You know that? And he begins to expose all these things. What it contradicts is that we live with so many assumptions about our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. In this journey through Ephesians, we're going to see that Ephesians and God through Ephesians turns everything upside down. What you know and what makes sense to you, the gospel takes and turns it upside down with two words, but God. The gospel and the grace that enables the gospel Because the challenge is we are these conditional people. You know that? We do it with our kids. If you clean up your room, you will. We do it with ourselves. If I just work harder, if I just go to the gym four times a week, I can look like him. If I just, and it's always this, if I just, and if you just, and with others and with God and with ourselves, we live with these conditions flying through our heads and everything, and we engage a gospel and a grace that is completely unconditional. Completely unconditional. But God. And this is where it comes from. Ephesians 2 verse 11. I'm just going to read it for you. Maybe just close your eyes. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who themselves call the circumcision. You see, there's always a group. There's always someone in me. There's something in you that wants to put the conditions in place. You will always engage someone, even in the church, where there's conditions. It says, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember It's the second time he says, remember. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But God in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. But God. It's a radical, radical thing. And he says this, remember says, remember that you were separate from God. Remember that you were excluded from God's chosen people. Remember that you were outside of the promises. Remember that you had no hope. Remember that you were not washed by the blood. Why? Because we forget. And we come to the cross 
and, the, and we get involved in church life and we think everything's good because the conditions are there. Well, if I just go to church and if I just do this and if I just do this, and we stop remembering what he did and every day he does and that his salvation sets us apart. And the, the apostle is sitting in his prison cell under chains and he writes twice, remember. We have to listen where the fathers speak. We have to listen when the fathers who have love in their hearts speak. Younger men, younger ladies, listen when the older fathers and mothers in this house speak. When love is pouring out. Remember, don't forget. Don't forget because when you forget, you forget you need a savior. You forget you come back to that place. You forget and you stop worshiping. And worship becomes something you do, not a response to the king of kings. See, we were dead in sin, but God. We were captive, but God. We were children of wrath, but God. And he proves that in the kingdom, nothing is impossible for God. And John Piper writes this, but God. When he walked by my open grave, instead of turning away from the stench, he said to his son, I want that mess alive. Will you die for him? And he said, yes. And that's how I got saved. And that's how you got saved. Or can get saved. The Bible says we were dead before Christ breaks into our life. Dead and stinking. And it's this picture of the father and son walking past that grave. That was us. And the father says, will you make that mess alive? Will you pour your blood over? We've got to be a grateful people. We've got to stay in that place. And Ephesians, at the very heart of Ephesians, you saw people say, well, read about Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because they're all about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible. At the center of the big story, at the center of every story, every prophecy from the Old Testament to the finish at the end of the New Testament is about Jesus. He's the focal point. He's the one who takes all the glory. It's him. So Ephesians, we come. And what does a book all about Jesus called Ephesians mean for Cape Town? And I'm just going to spell out a few things before I get into some of the scripture. Well, it's going to challenge what we believe. I trust this book challenges what you believe. God is, because we all live with limitations. God is this good. Now, what happens when he says the inexpressible riches of his joy, of his love, of his grace? What does that mean? When, the, when it just falls and it falls, when we understand grace, that it just keeps coming. It offends the religious reality in every person. How can God just keep pouring his grace on? Just carry on, boy, carry on. How can God keep pouring on? Two years ago, I had the privilege of being in the Niagara Falls, and it just pours and it pours, and nothing can stop it. And you can try to dam up one side, but the other side will just keep on flowing because the grace of God is beautiful. See, religion says, live like this and you'll get favor of God. The grace of God and the gospel says, believe and you'll walk out a life in his image. It's totally different. It contradicts everything. It's gonna, we understand who we are. We understand what it means to be in Christ. 23 times this word, in Christ. When a man is sitting in a prison writing letter to people he loves, and he uses the same thing 23 times, we have to listen. We have to listen. What does it mean to be in Christ, seated with him in heavenly realms? And he speaks about adoption. 
the most beautiful doctrine, but unfortunately incredibly neglected in the church. The beauty of what God did for us in adoption. And through the series, we're going to get one or two people up who've either adopted or been adopted. And to speak about that story. To speak that adoption's not some plan B. God didn't have a plan B. How do we do adoption for my people? How do I get them back to my light? How do I get them back to my love? Well, I'm going to come up with something called adoption. No, adoption is plan A. In the physical, in this realm, and in the heavenly realm. God is for us. He is with us. Then Christ is in us. And it's this fact that, that God's solution to the world's problems was a son. Because a son had messed up. So he says, I'm going to keep sending sons and I'm going to keep sending daughters out. And I'm going to do it by dwelling inside of them. We read the scripture there. Maybe you didn't see it. See, I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Maybe you come from a foreign shore and the only thing you had was a bag and shoes. And you say, I'll never have an inheritance. You have the Spirit of God as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance today. It's unbelievably beautiful. And he sends you out like that. He sends me out. We're in him. And it's all this. And I'm just teeing it up because I'm going to carry on today. But it's one chapters 1 to 3 and we are positioned in Christ. We are positioned for impact. You see these cricketers. They get in position. They have all their things. They get in position. So when the moment comes, they're ready to play their shots. They keep balanced. They keep their heads balanced. Well, Sri Lanka did. And, um, and, and they keep their heads balanced, and they can play their shot instinctively. That's who we are. We get in position, and he does that by changing our thinking. Lift up your gates so the king of glory can come in. The gates are in our head. The gates are not some external. We like to make them some external flow. If this thing could just happen, if this thing could just happen, No, the gates are inside your thinking and my thinking. And every day I come under the word of God and God lifts up the gates so the king of glory can come in. And then chapters four to six, which we'll speak about later, but it's then the game. God positions us for impact and then it's the moment we live it out. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you excited? I am so excited. God is gonna challenge what we believe and change what we believe. And as Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he reveals these great things, well, the first thing that comes, before there was a great commission, there was a great command, love one another. Love God and love one another. Then go out with a commission. So he's going to challenge some of our prejudices. I spoke six weeks ago about prejudice. He says, the dividing walls of hostility have to come down. So brother and sister and brother and sister, get over some stuff because the dividing walls have to come down. Just because the gospel changes everything. So how does it all start? Let me see if I can find the slide. Ephesians 1. Are you guys okay? I know I I repeated some stuff. I am so radically excited. I've been a part years and years ago of, of an Ephesians series, and I saw God rip stuff out of me. I saw him rip stuff out of friends of mine and establish us as young men and women who would burn for Jesus. He's got to position us. And so often the church preaches, just come get involved. Get involved and, 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 and serve and just serve and ultimately you'll find God. And I understand some of that thinking in terms of community, getting people involved. But our first call is to be positioned in Christ. There is nothing else. I cannot serve in church. It cannot compensate for that. I cannot give a million trillion rand. It cannot compensate for being positioned in Jesus where he covers my nakedness, he covers my shame, he covers every part of me so that I can be effective as a son of the living God. 
And this man writing in prison, and he starts like this to a people he loves. He says, Paul, it's good he knows his own name, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. God's holy people. How gentle is that? When you start with someone and you write a letter, do you start with, I just noted, noticed this, you're just doing this wrong, or do you just start about who you are in the original design of God, to God's holy people? Grace and peace to you from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is all we're doing today. Just when I started the Our Father series, Jerry thought I was going to do it all in one day. So he started canceling his lunch plans. That is all we're going to do today. And that can seem like, that's just, weird. That's just the greeting. That's just the way it's like, how's a church? It's so much more. It is not just a polite greeting. It's not just an icebreaker. A funny story that he tells at the start to get people in. He intentionally writes, and right up front, he positions Jesus. You see, grace and peace is Jesus. It's called the gospel. Because without grace, there is no Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no grace. And without grace and Jesus, there is no peace. So right up front, he positions the gospel at the front of everything. Oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospels. The gospel is everywhere. We just have to be able to see it. And it's an amazing thing. When he writes grace and peace to you, it would have been the normal greeting to, to write grace to you and peace, but that word used would have been a word, the root word would have been charin or C-H-A-I-R-E-I-N, and it means greetings. It means greetings and peace to you. It's a nice, polite greeting. But he uses a different word. He uses charis, which means grace. He uses grace, and he says grace and peace to you. He says the gospel is all over you, and it changes everything. He positions the unmerited favor and blessings of the son and daughter of the living God over you in the very first line. Like, surely, Paul, you've got to work it up and tell a good story and get us excited. Right up front, he positions everything Jesus did. Grace and peace to you. See, grace is not some abstract power. It's not something we say at the end of a meal. It's not something that the church throws around. I'm just going to be gracious. And it's not something the world will ever, ever understand. I'm just telling you, in this book, God has to shift our understanding of grace. I can tell you for me, grace became a political word. In the church, grace became something that's a grace church and that's not a grace church. What? Jesus, full of grace. Jesus, full of truth. Jesus is grace. When you say grace, there is no grace outside of Jesus. (laughs) Because he paid the price. It is Jesus. It's the embodiment of Jesus. There's no understanding of grace without a revelation of Jesus. And it's this beauty of grace. Ephesians writes about the riches of his grace. Riches that just keep pouring and pouring and pouring. And we struggle with that, I guess. We conditioned in our parents' relationship, in any love relationship, even with, you think your husband and wife, just grace just flows and flows. And you've been married for three days and you know it's not true. Because we all have a limit to how gracious we can be at some level. So we put that on Jesus. We project that lens onto Jesus. And we say, surely God, there's a limit. 
And we look at ourselves and we say, surely God, how much more when we look at others? That's why judgmentalism and all that stuff needs to be smacked. God is our judge. And it's this beautiful thing. When we start to understand grace, it is grace is top down, not bottom up. Does that make sense? You know that curtain that was torn when Jesus was on the cross? It was torn from the top all the way to the bottom. We didn't help a little bit at the bottom. We can't help at all. Grace is something that pours from the top down. It's got nothing to do with us. Grace is love that seeks you when you have nothing to give in return. It is so foreign to the world. We go after people who can help us. We go after influences who can affect us. And grace says, I'm going to pour in where I can get nothing back. That's Jesus. Grace is indiscriminate compassion. There's no lenses. When Jesus looked at the broken, he looked at the lost, he didn't care what their situations were. He went after the prostitutes. He went after the tax collectors. He went after the crossbreeds between the Jews and the Gentiles. He went after them because grace has indiscriminate compassion. Jesus, wherever I say grace, you can take grace out and put Jesus. And wherever I say Jesus, you can take Jesus out and put grace. Grace doesn't make demands, it just gives. Just gives. Just gives. Rory told that story when he was here of a drug dealer in our church. Just gives. I've seen the most broken scenarios walk in through the doors of the church, mostly not on a Sunday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Glenridge Church, where I'm from, was situated on top of the Durban station. We bought two car parks and we built a church because the city wouldn't give us any space. So we bought from Metro Rail. We built a car park. But what we didn't realize, because we're a little dwarf, is that when you put yourself on top of a station, people come. A lot of people. And every day there was a new story. Every day there was new brokenness. Every day there was new degrees of brokenness in our midst. And it challenges you and confronts you and you realize if you don't have a revelation that grace just pours, you will burn out in an instant. Wayne and the team going to site five. If you don't have a revelation that grace just pours, you come to your end. And it, it always seems to give to the wrong people. You notice that? Read the Bible. The woman at the well, and she's had all these marriages, and she's living with another dude, and it's all. Now, grace pours to her. And grace pours to the broken and the sick. Jesus pours. And you know what the challenge is? Every bit of religion inside of all of us will struggle with it because it's recklessly general, generous. Maybe you're even sitting here in Mark, and you're wanting to put limitations on what I'm saying. Because you've been in church and you've seen people fall. I am a pastor. I want to see people thrive. Everything inside of me wants to see them thrive. But I've tried putting limitations on people. I've tried telling them what to do. I've tried telling them to stop it. But without grace, there is no power to overcome addiction. Without grace, there is no power to overcome brokenness. Without showing them that who you are, you are a son or a daughter of the living God, you do this you don't do this, not because it's the wrong thing to do. You don't do this because you're a son or the daughter of the living God. And I struggle this in my own home with my own kids. Stop it, Judah. 
This morning in worship, hitting his cars around, I'm going, stop it, Judah. And I fail sometimes to say, stop it because I'm going to smack you because it's wrong. But if I would just take a breather and realize the grace that is poured to me, I'd say, stop it, Judah. Come here, boy. You have to tell them to stop it. Because God tells us to stop it. I'm not saying he doesn't tell us to stop it. But then he takes us aside gently. He says, you, you're not a naughty boy. Judah, you're my boy. You're a good boy. And you know why you don't want to do this, Judah? Because you're a good boy. Because inside of your heart. You know why you're not horrible to your brother? Because you're kind. Because your father's kind. You are kind. And grace changes everything, including the way we parent our children. And I stand here as a man who's failed many times in that area. Yeah, the challenge is it, it doesn't seem to work in this world somehow. It's like that doesn't make sense, Mark. If you just keep telling your boy he's a good boy when he's being naughty, how's that not going to make sense? And it doesn't make sense because grace isn't from this world. Grace is from the heaven. It's from heaven. It's from Jesus. I know I'm tearing this up in a big way. Stay with me. I just pray even now, Spirit of God. Right now, you're dealing with religion in me, even as I'm speaking now, God. I pray deal with it in us. I pray reveal in this place that we would be a house who knows, a house who lives in the beauty and the lavishness of your grace. Please, Jesus. Thank you, God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing to the praise of his glory, glory of his grace, which he bestowed on us. The critical thing, you know what Jesus did? In Romans 5 it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. It's a radical thing. We are these natural-born rebels who need grace. I'm just teeing up the first chapter, the first sentence. And it's the challenge. We have all these conditions and disclaimer, and everything about religion is bottom-up. Every religion in this world is bottom-up. It's I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do more things, I'm going to give more, I'm going to go to more meetings, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to evangelize more, I'm going to do all these things. And every religion in this world, aside from Christianity, is bottom up. I'm going to get to God by being more, by working harder. Everyone. And everything about Christianity is top down. Everything. It's what he's done, not what I do. It's what he established in the heavenly realms that I live out in the earthly realm because he is glorious. And it's unbelievably beautiful. And you know what that does? That grace buys us peace. Peace. And I'd like to take five more minutes to speak about peace. Peace is the fruit of Jesus. Peace is the fruit of His glorious grace. And it's peace with God. It's peace, the peace of God and peace with men. The first one, peace with God. Is what happens as a result of Jesus paying my debt is He absorbs God's wrath. He absorbs everything I just. I deserve, and the result is the, the, the result between the war of God, between myself and God. The, a war existed because I was separate, and Jesus broke in, and he took the war away 
So now there's peace with me and God. That is established forever, the day you give your life to Christ. It's established. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. It cannot be changed. It doesn't ever need to be topped up. That connection is never lost. But then there's something else called the peace of God. So there's the peace with God. I'm at peace right now with God. But you know, I can lose my peace. You get that that whole thing? So he writes scriptures to the anxious. In Philippians 4 verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rob said it twice, what he spoke earlier. Transcends. It's not a word we use a lot. It's a, world that you, it's a word the world around us is using more and more. The young generation now are seeking transcendence. Believe me or not, I'm telling you, they are seeking transcendence. They are leaving the denominational church, they are leaving the free church to go back to some of the more traditional churches where there's iconography on the walls because that gives them a sense of transcendence. It's a massive movement in the United States now. Back into, into the, the, the older churches. And God gives us this peace. He says, do not be anxious because I've given you peace. I have peace with God, which means we should live with peace, but we tend to lose it. He says, but you can access that peace. Depression is a lie from the enemy. Peace is accessible in Jesus. I believe it with everything. I've seen it. And there's a road to walk towards it. But there is freedom in Christ. And it can be lost. We get relational tension. You know when you have a fight with your brother, your sister, there's relational tension. Peace is lost. See, grace buys the ability for that thing to have peace. So you need one graceful believer, one peacemaker who is a son of God, and peace enters the situation. I've seen it. Only takes one. Only takes one. And we find no peace unless we cling to the word of God and we cling to these three words, it is finished. I'm a pastor. I have the privilege of preaching to you, but every day when situations arise, I have to cling to these words, it's finished. See, this church will not be built and people will not come because of my gift. It'll come because of those three words. It is finished and my belief in those words. And our corporate understanding of what those words have done for this city and this world. That's what sets us up. In Ephesians 4, he says to us, for he himself is our peace. You want the last one is peace with God. That's established. Peace of God. We get more and more of that as we walk more and more in his ways. And there's another one, peace with my brother. See, what is the first thing when they leave the garden of Eden? Brother kills brother. It's the first thing that happens. When we leave the presence of God, we lose the peace with man. And he says in Ephesians 2, he says, I've died so that I broke down every wall of hostility, everyone. Racism, um, um, I can't even think of all the isms right now, but all the different sections of economies and all that, I broke all that stuff down elitism and all these things in Jesus because of grace and peace to my brothers in Ephesus. And he writes this letter to us and the image is Jesus standing at a wall and on one side is Stu and on the other side is me and one just access to the grace and Jesus just smashes that wall with a 10 pound hammer and it comes tumbling down. We need those images to help us understand. But now, and maybe I can get us back to the start. But now, 
but God, sorry. See, the root of the gospel is grace, and the fruit of the gospel is peace. I want to know the root so that I can access the fruit in my life. I was a sinner, but now I'm a son. I was a slave, now I'm redeemed. I was spiritually corrupt. I have every spiritual blessing, and it just carries on and on. We are on an incredible journey together. And I've gone a little long this morning. I want to encourage you. There are amazing resources there. If you can't get them now, speak. I trust we can get CBD and Yolanda and the team back some stage. But God wants to do something with us. Honestly, this is not about entertaining you on a Sunday morning. This is about us as a community, reading the Word of God together, coming under the Word of God, and allowing His grace and peace, who is Jesus, to shatter anything that would hold us back from seeing the fruit that He would see in this city. I'm going to preach this with as much courage as I have because I believe it's a message of Jesus. And I would ask that you give yourself to the Word of God. Give yourself to the Word of God. Read Ephesians. My one mate was boasting because I said last week, if you read quickly, you can read in 18 minutes. If you read slowly, 32 minutes. He, he told me he did in 18 minutes. I'm just glad he's reading. And he, but God wants us to come under his Word. Can I pray for us? Apologize again for going a little longer this morning. Just Jesus, we are... I just want to state over this church, we are not a grace church, we are not a peace church, we are a Jesus church. We believe in the power of what Jesus did on the cross and we believe it wholeheartedly. We believe your word and we come under your word. And I pray, God, even where this message has stretched us, I pray as we go into this series, you would reveal, you bring clarity. Because part of us is positioning us in your grace to live a life worthy of the calling, which looks like a life pleasing to you, Ephesians 5. But we don't limit the beauty of the gift that is Jesus. So we come to that place this morning. We say, Jesus, let your grace heal. Even now, your grace is healing. Even now, some of you, grace is the first time you've heard the fullness of that thing, of the gift Jesus gave. I pray grace right now explode our hearts. Jesus, explode our hearts. Shame can strip off in an instant, in one touch. Shame comes off. Shame comes off. The lies of the enemy come off. Brokenness comes off. And peace comes in because Jesus comes in. So I just pray Jesus right in to us as a community right now. We cannot invite you into your church. This is your church, God. But we say we want more and more. We want every degree that you have for us, God, of your glory in this place. We absolutely love you, Jesus. Amen.